Hey, Dr. G here. Thank you for listening to Moving Upstream Without a Paddle. I would like to work with businesses, authors, coaches, and the like who understand the importance of shifting perspectives to obtain the results we're looking for. I'm pleased to announce that Moving Upstream Without a Paddle is now offering commercial spots to be aired during the episodes. If you believe your organization would benefit from advertising on the podcast, I would love to have you be a part of this continuously growing show. Let's get connected and inspire the world together. What's up, everybody? I am back again, and this time with my guest, a Robert Gillette. Robert is a happily married man with two children, and he resides, well, he actually, he's a native from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I've been there once. It's a beautiful place. Um, he has been an, an IT employee, a middle manager, a business owner in more industries than he'd like to admit. Um, but what Robert is really passionate about and what he been what he has been doing his whole life is sales. Um, in early 2021, he started a podcast called Reclaiming Sales to help others understand and make peace with this idea that they might be able to help the most people in the most substantial way by learning how to do that job with honor, confidence, and integrity. And um, I was able to talk to him about this, and his, he, his mindset on this piece is, is extraordinary. So I really am anxious to get in and, and talk to him more about that, and that's going to come up right after this. Welcome to Moving Upstream Without a Paddle, the podcast that helps develop a mindset for success. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Goggins, but most people call me Dr. G. Now, I've dedicated my life to helping others understand that if you have the proper mindset, you can propel yourself up that proverbial stream with no paddle needed. Now, if you're constantly feeling like you're going against the flow, but you're never happy with your results, it's really time to flip your mindset. If that's something that you're ready to do, you've come to the right place. Now let's get to it. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the show. What's going on, Garrett? Not a whole lot. It is it is Friday, so it's it's going good. How are how are things going with you? Uh, you know, it's it's been a pretty good week so far, even for a short week. Uh, we hit, you know, it's it's nice when you roll into a Friday with all your your goals hit for the week. Um, I mean, so you get to build some great capacity or, and or do some fun things uh, that normally you wouldn't have time for. So yeah. Well, that's true. That is true. So I'm really anxious to get into this. And we were talking just before about um, what I was kind of hoping to get out of it. And, and typically, I, I don't have this this agenda, but I kind of have one with you. And, and that's because of what you're doing and, and because of your podcast, because the um, bringing back this honor and integrity into the sales arena is is an ambitious goal for one. And but it's a worthwhile goal. And so I really want to just just give the, the stage to you. And if you wouldn't mind just telling us your background and, you know, what brought you to this point, you know, what you do, why you do it and how you got there, essentially. So if you don't mind, just take it away. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to try and sum up 30 ish years of, uh, of journey in a few seconds. But the highlights that I've I've because I've been asked this quite a bit recently since starting the podcast and. I've got it down to a tight, you know, minute or two, but I'm a third generation sales guy. Grandpa did it. Dad did it. 
and I didn't want to do it. I saw how hard it was on mom. I saw how hard it was on me as a kid. I didn't see the the benefits that came with the job, like autonomy and the fact that he was able to own a house and raise five kids and college and all that stuff. All I saw was that dad wasn't around as much as I wanted him to be. And he worked a lot and um, we didn't get to take lots of vacations and, you know, that that kind of stuff that a kid sees. So when I set out into adulthood, I just didn't want to do sales. And I tried anything but sales, uh, everything from owning photography businesses and bridal stores and project management. And I mean, I did like a, ba a bajillion things trying to find what was a, a great fit for me. And IT was the second to the last one. And I was recruited away from my IT job to come work for my the co company I'm with today, which is called Endsight. And the CEO convinced me to leave an IT role to go into a sales role. And man, that was a, I trusted him because he's a smart guy, but it was a tough transition for me. Like, how am I going to be the kind of person I want to be while doing a sales job? Something that, you know, if you had to make a list of the top five most hated professions, sales has got to be up there somewhere. Right. Uh, we all have had experiences with smarmy, narcissistic liars that have tried to steal from us. And I just didn't want to be that. And so the, the podcast is really my journey. Um, I'm trying to document, not necessarily document, but trying to lay out some great examples for other people to follow. Because now, six years into the job, I, I honestly believe my highest and best professional calling is sales. I really honestly believe I can help the most people in the most substantial way by mastering the sales profession. And I think there's a lot of other people that could fall into that same category if we changed our mindset about it a little bit. Yeah. And why <laughs> it's, it's interesting that because not all salespeople, I think, or what you just said, right? I, I feel like there's a vast majority of them, but it just seems like when we get that that one, and all of a sudden we're just gonna label the, the rest of them, or maybe we get two, we just label the rest of them. And I don't know if that's the case, but it just seems that way because I've met a lot of, of really cool sales guys and they were, um, they had integrity, they had they had everything. They did tend to be a little bit pushy, but they weren't like, you know, like you were saying, liars and, and narcissistic and all that. So like what to you, what really defines this ideal salesperson? Well, ideal, that's a, that's a tough one. But I, I actually want to address the first part of what you said. This I that we've all met bad salespeople. But if, if you really think about it, every company that's ever existed has had to have somebody do the sales job. Right. And if, so, I mean, it's not, it's pretty ubiquitous with society. You know, I don't know if sales was the first profession, but it was probably the second. So I, I think that's the first thing that is, is tough for us to wrap our head around that, that sales is absolutely essential to the business world, the transacting of money and goods and services for, for value. So that's the first thing is, is kind of, I think tough to wrap our head around, but you almost experience the same thing with any kind of abuse. You know, I, I thankfully have never been in an abusive relationship, but I, I can imagine that, you know, if you have a, 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 a someone of a certain gender that, it, that abuses you, that causes you physical, emotional harm, when you meet other people of that same gender, you are naturally suspicious uh -huh. that they will cause you that same harm. And you're literally writing off half of all humanity. 
you know, you're suspicious of all you're suspicious of 3 billion people because one harmed you. Right. There's got to be somewhere in that is our problem with salespeople. And it's the same thing that haunts us with lawyers and dentists, too, because I've had a lawyer hurt me and I've had a dentist hurt me. So I'm freaked out by all dentists. <laughs> There's something about the way the human brain works that that just causes that. So the challenge is as salespeople, if we know before we ever meet our prospect that they've experienced some kind of trauma around salespeople, it's kind of our job to address that. You know, it's not the prospect's job to address their trauma from salespeople, the fact that they've been lied to or swindled or hurt or whatever. It's our job as salespeople to know that when we're stepping into that scenario, there is baggage that people have and we have it too because we're also somebody's prospect. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, this I addressing the ideal, if you would say, um, salesperson, finding that ideal. The first thing is we have to acknowledge our role. I can't tell you how many, well, so when I was early in my, in my career, you'd go, I went to a lot of networking events. I mean, these were just like, if you had, if you had $5 and a free hour, you were at this thing, like everybody would come to these networking events. They were the, the least exclusive thing you could think of. And I used to just count as soon as I met four financial planners, I would just go home and be like, that was the end of the night. This isn't my crowd because every single one of them, you ask them what they do and they spin this complex web of how they are, you know, interested in the financial blah, blah, blah. And they, but really at the end of the day, they just sold insurance and they themselves could not come to grips with that. Uh. If you know, the way you listen to the talk to them and you, they'd introduce themselves and you'd go, Oh, so you sell insurance and you'd see them physically recoil about the <laughs> idea that they were in sales. And it was just so into no, 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 I'm a financial planner. And so I think the very first thing we have to understand is if we're going to get past this, we have to acknowledge it. We have to understand that we are in sales. People are going to view us a certain way and we're going to be viewed a certain way. And we just, we need to embrace that and understand it and work within it, not try and deny it. <laughs> I think um, that's important. And I, I, I really specifically asked that question because this, this idea that we also talked about earlier, you know, before the show that, um, everybody has to get past this preconceived notion that they're not in sales because everybody is in sales at some point or another, you're selling something. And that's either going to be like, like I said earlier, uh, it could be just yourself, right? So if I, I own this web development company and I'm in sales, I have to go and get clients. And how do you do that? It's sales. If you're in any business, right. And you want to move up in that business. So if you're, you know, an employee and you want to progress, which I think is most people's goal in life is to go, you know, vertically in the company and not just stay stagnant, you have to sell yourself. You have to pitch yourself to upper management. And so it's a sales job. It's we're all in sales. It's just, and so yeah. I think like you were saying, if we can just come to grips with our role in society, we're all in sales. And I think that would, I don't know. Maybe it, it wouldn't, but I, I think it. No, I agree. I am. I agree with you 100. In fact, I'm even going to expand that outside of the business world just to make a point. Right. Last week, I had to utter the phrase to my two-year-old daughter: "You may not have any more tomatoes until you eat your chicken nuggets." <laughs> so uh, we've figured out how to sell vegetables to our kids. 
Like we've, we just, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and man that I do not have any trouble getting them to eat their vegetables. That was a sales process. That was a, you know, someone might want to call it the long con, you know, but we, uh, my five-year-old just had his birthday. He didn't want ice cream. I tried to feed him ice cream. He was uninterested. I mean, he had some cake later, but I, he eats salad. He eats vegetables. They don't, you know, crave the chicken nuggets and pizza the way I did when I was a kid, which is why I kind of look the way I look. But um, that was a sales process. I had to understand their incentives, their needs. I had to approach what I wanted through the lens of what was good for them. And I had to manage their emotions. I had to manage timing. I had to manage expectations. That was every bit a sales process as trying to get someone to spend a million dollars on their IT infrastructure. It's the same thing. And so this concept that we are all in sales, that everything is sales, is something I kind of believe in as long as we look at it through the lens of what is sales at its best. Hmm. And this is something I have not completely defined yet because it's still an idea that's growing in my mind. But I believe that there's two, there's like a spectrum so all the it's a continuum all the way on this side is a product, you know, that's quantifiable. Okay. It's a, it's a product isn't the right word because it can be a service too, but it's something that is definable. It's something that is commoditized. So let's say I call it a commodity. And then all the way on the other side is what I'll call a specialty. It could be a product or a service, but it's a specialty. And so if you know the commodity you want to buy, you don't need a salesperson realistically. You just need the function of sales. So for instance, if I want to buy a flashlight, I know how to buy a flashlight. I go to Amazon. I, I, I skim through. I look at the reviews. I find the right one that has the, the price for the features that I want. You know, maybe I want a really cheap one because it's disposable. Maybe I want an expensive one so that it can, I don't know, melt things with its power. I don't know. But I understand what's important to me from a value standpoint and compare that against price. I can check some reviews. I click and it's here in two days. I don't need a salesperson in that process. The sales function is led by the Amazon website and their UX designers and, and their technology. But if I want to go buy something that's a specialty, I don't know what I want. I don't know what it should cost. I don't know where to get it. I don't have ex reasonable expectations around the service or the product. And so I need someone to lead me through that process. So if you're a salesperson and what you do is a specialty, what is your job? I think a lot of us fail to realize our job is not to get people to buy from us because they don't know if they should buy from us. Our job is to help them make a good choice. And that if we're salespeople of honor, confidence, and integrity, we should feel comfortable telling them when it's not a good choice to choose us. Mm -hmm. So I think the frustration around salespeople is when one of two things happens, when it's not a good choice for the prospect and we still try and get them to choose us, or if what we're selling is not really a specialty, it's really a commodity, but we treat it like a specialty. And my perfect example of this is car sales. Like I, no one these days walks onto a car lot and doesn't have a pretty good idea of what they want and what it should cost and where to get it. 
but then we still have to go through this song and dance a lot of the time to pick, you know, to get the price, to go through the finance office. There's the upsell. There's the, you know, waiting in the lobby for two hours to even get to that point. So you're nice and tired. I recently bought a car. The guy sent me, he gave me 20 bucks to go buy some food because it was taking a long time. That was a very carefully, it wasn't just that he was hungry. It's Mm -hmm. that he wanted to instill a, a state of gratitude and favor. You know, it's, it's treated like a specialty, but realistically, I had pre-negotiated the price of the car before I even drove down there mm-hmm. because I knew exactly what I wanted and how much it should cost. So that was a frustration. But that that one, I think we can identify. It's not a specialty, but you're treating it like one. The mm-hmm. opposite of that, by the way, is how I know everybody loves sales, by the way. I know every single person in the world loves sales because we save up money and hire babysitters to go to restaurants which is flat out sales. Someone's going to come up to your table and they're going to try and get you to buy something and you're excited to buy it and you're going to buy it and you're going to really like it. You're going to ask for you know a discount or something like that or never go back there again. But we don't struggle with the upsell when someone says, and would you like to add fries with that? Or mm-hmm. have how, how what drinks are you considering? We don't care because we we love that process because we're getting, it's we understand it. It is that perfect mix of commodity and specialty with someone there to help us. And we love it. And we eat the food and we're so happy. There's a really good alignment of incentives and understanding of the sales process. When we go to a restaurant, there are no surprises in terms of sales. Here's a worse example of that. Is when I had my second kid and I needed an estate plan. And a lawyer convinced me to schlep my whole family from Hayward, California on the, you know, BART system to San Francisco, which took about 45 minutes to an hour with a toddler and a newborn to sit in her office so she could explain to me for 90 minutes all the decisions I had to make to have an estate plan. And then she handed me a whole binder worth of stuff and sent me home. And I did not buy an estate plan from that person because all she did was give me homework I couldn't finish. Questions like, what happens if I die? Who gets my kids? How do they divide up my assets? When do my kids get my money? What happens if uh, the family that is watching my kids needs some of that money for my kids to be well off before that? And who do I trust with that? And should I have someone else oversee those people, like someone to watch the watchman? She just sent me home with all these questions. And then years later, I've never heard from her. I went to a different attorney. So the question is, you know, is she a bad attorney? This is something I've had lots of debates about with other attorneys. I say, well, is she a bad attorney? They say, well, I need to see her estate plans. I'd have to, you know, check references with the bar association and blah, blah, blah. And I say, nope, she's a terrible attorney. You know why? Because I came to her with a need about the law. That need was not met. Uh Okay. So she's a bad attorney, in my opinion, because she's bad at sales. And so this is why we hate salespeople, because we come to them with needs and then those needs are not met. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's our fault. Sometimes it's their fault. But that friction and frustration we have is that we have needs and we've taken the vulnerable step of raising our hand and saying, I need someone to help me with this. And then they mess it up. Yeah. And that's where the trauma comes from. Yeah. There's a, when you're just that story was reminding me when I, I used to work for AT&T Wireless and I sold, I sold cell phones. And um, I sucked at that job. Well, I didn't suck at that. I didn't feel like I sucked at the job, but my manager thought I sucked at the job because, you know, we had these phones that we were supposed to push 
And if I did not have belief in that phone, I wouldn't push it because to me it was, you know, the customer would come in like, you don't want that phone it really has sucky battery life. You're, you're just going to drop calls up along the, cause I'm in Colorado. We have the, the front range corridor. You're going to drop calls up and down the corridor. It's just, it's just a terrible phone. What you want is this one because it has, it's more reliable. And so my manager hate me cause I wouldn't, I would never ups, I would never do those, push those phones, but I had, I had the best return rate for customers. So my customers would always come back and ask for me. And I feel like this is what we're talking about here, right? Is we're not selling something just to sell something to them. We're actually saying, what's the need? We're like, really, what is the need that we're, we're trying to meet? And find something that fits within that need and not say, well, what you were going back to what you were saying earlier, um, being able to tell them, you, what I have is, isn't good for you. So maybe, maybe you should go and find, and I would go to Sprint, go to someplace else, whatever that looked like, but that's not, that's not the typical salesperson's mentality. And that's the mindset shift that a lot of people have to do. And again, small businesses too. Like if someone comes to me in this, in my web design company and they're wanting something that I like, that's just not something that I, that one that I do is not something I want to put my name on or whatever, or however I do the, the process isn't going to work for you. I, I know probably about six other web designers that I could say, but this person's a really good fit for you. So you should maybe go to them and, and they can really work with, with what you're trying to get into. And I feel like that's really what we're trying to get across here is like, th this is the idea of this, of what sales should really look like and not just this, no, you have to stay with me because I'm the end all be all, but you may not be <laughs> for that person. Right. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with being creative about it either. You know, so I'll give you a really good example. Uh, well, let's let's dive into that phone. If I was the manager of you in that moment, mm -hmm. and I said, "Okay, well, millions of people have bought this phone and haven't returned it. So, what do they like about the phone? You know, what actually works about this phone?" And then when people come in and they and the boss wants you to sell that phone, in good faith as a salesperson, you say, "This is what this phone is fantastic at: X, Y, and Z." Here's where it struggles, A, B, and C. And then the customer, you give them the chance to say, like, do you value X, Y, and Z more than A, B, and C? And if they say, no, I need A, B, and C, well, then don't sell them that phone. Mm -hmm. And that's and you should feel confident as a salesperson doing that. And if that means your manager wants to fire you, well, then, hey, if Sprint has a better product, go work for Sprint. Mm -hmm. This As salespeople, we have, I have some foundational beliefs that I'm working on. I'm actually putting them in an ebook. It'll be ready in about a month. But this idea that we, there's this, this foundation that we're building. And it's you're going to build a sales career on top of it and all the training you get in your sales system and the product you sell and the company you work for that really sits upon some foundational beliefs that you have or need to have as a salesperson. And that first one I already mentioned is you are in sales. You got to come to grips with that and you have to be OK. You have to quiet your soul in that way. You have to, you know, have your for lack of a better term, come to Jesus moment about the fact that you're in sales. Otherwise, your client's going to sniff that out that you're uncomfortable about the fact that you're in sales. They won't know what's wrong, but you won't pass the sniff test. Something will smell off. They'll be afraid to work with you. And it's really just that you can't come to grips with your job. One of the other beliefs that I, I really believe is that no one can make you do the wrong thing. When we do things as salespeople that we're not proud of, it's our choice. You own your own business as a salesperson, even if you're an employee. I'm not the first person to say that. 
that you have a client you work with and they give you compensation in terms of, you know, base salary and commissions and incentives in exchange for the value of meeting your quota. And if that really, if that business agreement ever stops working, you won't work there anymore. Like whether that takes a month or a year depends on the culture of the company, but realistically that's the value proposition. And if you don't like the client you're working for, then you need to go find a new client because if they don't like you as a provider, you certainly won't work there anymore. So finding that, that fit, understanding why people have bought from your company in the past for the, the product or the service that you're selling is essential for understanding how to help people that are coming through the door today. And no one can make me in my day job at Endsight selling IT support services. No one can make me do the wrong thing by the prospect. And that's one of the reasons why when I stand up and I look them in the eye and I say what I can do, they believe me because they also believe me when I say what I cannot do. And my no makes my yes real. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a website. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions that weave together SEO, stellar web design, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing or idea or telling that next chapter in your story because your audience is ready for it. Look them up today at webinit.com and remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. If you're finding value in this podcast, you should really check out where it all began. See, I wrote the book Moving Upstream Without a Paddle as a guide to develop the foundation for a successful mindset. Learn what I believe to be four of the most fundamental principles to finding success in any endeavor. And if you apply these principles in your own life, you will indeed find that you can move upstream with no paddle needed. Get it on Amazon today. Let me ask you something. And I don't I don't know if you can I don't know if you have an answer. I don't know if there is an answer for this, but maybe just through your you know, your many years of being in sales that you can maybe make it a little bit quantifiable just by your belief. But do you do you believe maybe belief is maybe just the best word. Do you believe that this idea of of this honor and integrity and the way that you're talking about how sales should be and that foundational piece of it do you feel that that would help increase? Because if we're going to have people want to really change their mindset, you really want to give them some type of return on investment for actually flipping that and saying, well, let's do things the way Robert really feels is the best way to do it. So is that return on investment? Do you believe that their sales will be increased or more solid? I mean, what what is going through this this way, this this Robert's way of, you know, what, what's that going to do? Am I making sense? I'm trying, I guess I'm having a hard time. That's effort. a really good question. And I'm going to rephrase it for you just to make it a little more succinct, which is, will I make more money and be happier yeah. if I err on the side of integrity and honor? That's what I think you're asking. Am I yeah. correct? Yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Perfect. So, yeah. You should, you should take think, over the I show. I believe you will make more money yeah. uh, for two different reasons. One, from your actual production. 
which is that uh, people that, you know, you never sell something to someone if you can't sell them a second one. There's a reason why snake oil salesmen don't do well in today's world, because there's nowhere to hide. Yelp exists, you know, so that's the that's that's the first thing is you don't sell something to someone unless you think you can get them to buy more. Mm -hmm. So there's just a flat out. It's not even altruistic. It is 100 percent self-preservation. And that's the company's incentive is to not lie, steal and cheat because they want to be around long after they've fired you or you've moved on. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you want to do this as a career, you need what's called production capability. So production is making the money. Production capability is what Stephen Covey calls the golden goose. There's the egg, that's production. The golden goose is production capability, which is the ability to, to lay more eggs. And so if we as salespeople, we have to find a way to balance what the company wants, which is the golden egg, and who we are, which is the goose. So one of the easiest ways to do that is to be able to sleep well at night, in my opinion. And if you're the kind of person that can lie, cheat, and steal and still sleep well at night, then I don't think you need my podcast. Mm -hmm. But if you're the kind of person that's, that lays awake at night sometimes and wonders, did I, oh man, I really hope that this thing I sold deploys well because I want the client to be able to say good things about me to other people and just, I don't like it when people hate me. Then I think that doing your job with honor, confidence, and integrity is absolutely essential to your success over time in the career because I would not be able to do a very good job if I couldn't sleep well at night, if I couldn't be proud of what I did and the way I did it, I'm just going to burn out. I'm going to, I'm going to be afraid to bump into people at Safeway and, and thinking that there are people out there in the world that think I stole from them. It's just, it would be hard for me to over time live that way. So yes, I think you're going to make more money because, you know, it's 10 times easier to get a second dollar from someone from whom you've already gotten a dollar, you know, it, it, upsells and recurring clients are way more profitable than brand new prospects every time. So there's that. You're also going to get more referrals from those people if you deliver on the things you promise. So yes, you'll flat out make more money because you'll sell more, but you'll also be energized. You'll also be um, proud of what you do. You won't have to hide from, you don't have to separate your personal life from your professional life quite so much because you'll, you'll be proud when they, when they intermingle. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that it's absolutely essential to long-term growth and success to get this right. If you care about it, mm -hmm. there are lots of people that had drive very nice cars and have lots of jewelry and big houses that don't worry about this. And that's okay. They're not bad people. It's just there's this empathy problem that we have as sales, as salespeople. It's almost like a superpower that just as Superman's strength was, was ruined by kryptonite, it was the same function that made him strong. So I believe as salespeople, our empathy, if we have it, if, if it is central to who we are as people, if it's something we can't ignore, it is a double-edged sword, truly. Because not only does it make us afraid to do the wrong thing, it makes us concerned about the, the needs of the client. It's the thing that, that keeps us awake at night wondering if people hate us. That's empathy. Okay, You are concerned about other people's feelings. That's how it hurts you. How it helps you is that when you have strong empathy, when it is core to your being and it's something you use without thinking about it, 
It means you have the ability in a sales context to get to understand and reflect back the deep emotional needs of your prospect. And that is your single greatest opportunity to make a bunch of money. Because if you can understand your prospect's emotional needs and reflect them back to them in a way that makes them feel understood, you will sell everything. You will hit every quota ever laid out in front of you if you could do that reliably. Because people, I believe, and I think there's a lot of evidence and much smarter people than I have said this, people buy with emotion and justify with logic. Mm -hmm. And again, you've experienced this before too, where you uh, maybe meet a street vendor or you're at a carnival or one of your friends tries to sell you some, some knives or something. And the sales pitch sounds great. And logically, you can think of no reason to say no. But deep in your gut, you're like, eh, something doesn't pass the sniff test. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what that is. That's your emotions not lining up with the logic. And nobody can be convinced, at least I haven't met the person, who can be convinced logically to do something that goes against their gut. It's just not something we do. It's why people don't buy life insurance. Life insurance makes total sense, especially if like you're young and healthy. You can pay like eight bucks a month for like a million dollars of life coverage till you're like 80. That makes total sense. But people don't do that because it feels weird to think about your, you know, dying and being old. Right. And it just and the fear and emotions, it just doesn't. So we don't make logical decisions because the emotions feel wonky. Right. Well, that's I think that's an important piece, because if we're going to be able to connect with someone on an emotional level, and if we're, if, we're, if we're purchasing with emotions and we want to connect with someone on, a, on an emotional level, um, we really have to, that is developing that understanding. So I guess my, my thing, if I'm going to connect with somebody, and this is, I'm not going to say I'm a professional salesperson, like I said, though I believe we're all in sales, so this is a really good lesson. But so if I'm going to connect with somebody on this emotional level, is the thing that I'm selling as a salesperson, should I be emotionally connected with that product or service to really connect mm. with, with the person on that emotional level? You know, if you can be, that's certainly helpful. <laughs> but uh, really for me, this the power is in not your emotions. Mm. The power is in the prospect's emotions. That's the third rail. That's where the power really flows because Quite honestly, what you need isn't important in this scenario. How you feel is not as nearly as important, especially to the person who has the behavior you want to change. Mm. So the behavior you want to change is there's someone who's not giving you money who you want to give you money. That's the behavior that needs to be changed. So the emotions that are uh, important to make that change happen are not yours. Now, you need to live within your, again, your honor, your confidence, and your integrity. Uh, so you need to do your job um, in a way that represents your values and tactically on the ground. You're not lying. You're not cheating. You're not stealing in the individual scenario. That's fine. But if you're going to change behavior, you need to be aware of and work within and with the emotions of the prospect. And that's where empathy really matters, because if you're a sociopath, you may not be able to understand and reflect back 
and say things that work within the adjusting of those emotions. So I'll give you a really great example. If I'm talking to a prospect for Endsight, the IT support company I work for, and they're giving me a hard time or I need to give my 30 seconds and that's literally all I have in front of them. They say, well, what clients do you work with? I go, I work with clients that have a deep emotional understanding of what it costs to get this wrong. And they're not trying to save money on IT. They want to know that if they pay me more than their last guy, I can prove to them and I'm willing to financially bet that I can do it right on the first try without learning from mistakes. And people can resonate with that or they won't. They'll go like, hey, I really need to reduce my, I'm on a mandate to reduce the IT spend. I'm comfortable going, hey, that's great. I'm not your guy. And either one of two things is going to be true. That's actually their need and they're going to go packing or it's just they're trying to sell me on a discount. Mm-hmm. And in which case they say, well, you know, it's not the number one thing, but it's something that's important to me. I go, okay, well, talk to me about that. And we can dive into, you know, when people tell me they're expensive, it means one of three things. It either means they just can't imagine spending that kind of money. It means that if they spent that kind of money, there would be no value there. Or it means they would literally bounce the check and go out of business. So I can deal with a couple of those and still make you a client. Some of those, not so much, but do you see how I'm like, I'm processing through their emotions on the subject, not my own, right? My own emotions. I have to manage before and after the meeting. But when I'm in a meeting with a client where my empathy is my superpower is when they say a thing and I can move past the words to the emotions behind that statement. And then I can bring that up to the forefront along with the words. If I can do that reliably and consistently, I'm going to, I'm going to sell the right clients, the right thing. And I'm going to send the wrong clients to another person. Yeah. Yeah. And well, then that's to me, that's the honor and the the integrity piece. Then that is, and the empathy that is making that emotional connection with them based off of whatever. And really, understanding at this point then what their true needs are. And I think this is why a lot of people don't succeed in sales is because they just say, you just need this, you need this, you need this. Well, to really get in that emotional level, then we need to go not directly, but do you need, do you need this? So tell me about yourself, ask these questions that really probe into what they're looking for and really find that need. Um, Then that, in turn will also connect with, with them on that emotional level. Cause you're hitting that spot, right? Yeah. And, uh, and part of this is every bit as fun a discovery for the prospect as it is for you. And I was sitting down in a Sandler sales training with a, a guy who, who does this for a living. And as part of his examples, he, he had you sit down with another person and talk about a big ticket item you were going to buy something that represented a meaningful amount of money. And I had to go buy a minivan. I knew that was on the docket in the next couple of months. I have to buy a minivan. And when it came point for him to interview me, he asked some questions. And, you know, that's a great way to start. Great way to dig deep. And I was willing to answer them. So he says, well, what kind of car do you drive now? And I told him, he says, what kind of car are you going to get? This. Okay, well, what do you value in a car? I don't even remember his exact questions. But in about five or six questions, he had drawn down to the idea that Well, I keep my cars for a long time and I'm deeply concerned about the safety of my family. 
And what he revealed to me, which I hadn't even considered, is that I should be willing to pay for a mid-level van instead of an entry-level one because it has features that I would get value out of for a long time and would keep my family safer. I did not know that before mm -hmm. I talked to him because every car I had bought before that I had bought over, you know, almost a decade ago and I bought the vanilla one because I was cheap and it was just me. Mm -hmm. I was poor and it was just me. Nice. Now I have a family and I have money and I can afford and there's value in a mid range van. Now the challenge is, is I would not have gotten that kind of questioning from a sales guy at the lot. I got it from a really killer sales guy in a training. <laughs> but when I went to the lot to go buy that van, I bought the mid-range van that had the DVD player and the 17,000 airbags and whatever else, because that's what I knew I wanted. So the missed opportunity there, I think, for a lot of people is that that guy kind of this may sound contradictory to my previous statement about the commodity of buying a car, mm -hmm. but it's it actually works in tandem with it, because if I had gone to the lot with my expectations set for the cheapest van possible, a killer salesperson could have sniffed out and maybe during the test drive or when we're looking at vans, sniffed out that reason why I would pay for a mid-range one. Now, I don't know if they would have been able to do that. Um, and I'm really grateful that um, I was able to talk to the Sandler sales guy in a training months before because I got the van I really wanted. Right. So there's opportunities there. If we can understand, if we can ask good questions, if we can dive deep, if we can understand the emotions of our prospects, we can actually, again, make more money and do a better job for them. Yeah. And sleep uh, at night because you provided the service. You will, And that's sales is a service too, right? I'm, it's, I am giving you a product or a service, but what the service I'm giving you is my, is my, interview questions or whatever to make sure that you are a satisfied person. So it's still, that's still a service in a sense in my, I guess, in my opinion, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but it just sounds good. Well, um, if it's not a service, then you will be quickly replaced by Amazon. Right. Because <laughs> if you provide no value as a salesperson, Amazon's coming for your job, not just them. It's every automation platform that exists. Right. Right. Let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about the podcast. Cause we're going to, we're getting close to time here and I want to, to be able to just get in a little bit deeper because you, you get people, cause I was actually on your podcast and I, again, I don't claim to be in sales, but I believe everybody's a salesperson. So what, what can people expect if they're going to go and listen to reclaiming sales? Yeah, they're going to expect, they can expect a journey at this point because I'm trying to do something that's never been done before. As far as I can tell which is reframe the conversation and change the way that the world thinks about and works with salespeople. And the easiest one to start with is the salespeople. So that's who we're working on first. Mm -hmm. uh, it is interviews. It was in, intended to be all interviews all the time. But what I found is, as I dove deep into it, the interviews draw out questions and those questions lead to either Q and A's or short, what I would call pre-written essays that end up in audio form because there's this component of learning uncovering, discovering, you know, all of this intertwines together to be an end result that doesn't exist yet. So we're building this idea together as an audience right now, because I, like most good salespeople, I understand the destination I want to arrive at. 
-hmm. and I have a good understanding of where I am now, but I don't know what the journey looks like. I don't know the path from here to there. And if that existed, Amazon would come for that job too. <laughs> and that's where humans are strong. And that's what AI hasn't been able to take away from us yet is the idea that I know where I want to go and I know where I am now. And I'm going to discover the path to get there as we do it. So people that are finding this episode right now and are interested in maybe the destination I'm looking for, what they'll find in my podcast is the journey. Mm. For now, it's just interviews and essays. And someday it will probably be more. I've already had three people ask me for a course. I'm already writing an ebook. I have no idea what any of that looks like. I have a day job. The day job treats me pretty well. So it's definitely a side project. But what I'm enjoying is the discovery process of figuring out how to get to where I want to go kind of one episode at a time. Right. And do you feel like those who aren't in sales as, as a profession could gain value out of listening to, to this journey? Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my email list and I've got a couple dozen attorneys and CPAs in there, which I would argue are salespeople, but they disagree. <laughs> Either way, they're finding some value. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep reading my emails. Right. So that's that's the, the short answer. I guess the longer answer is. Asking yourself what parts of my job, what parts of what I do for a living can be outsourced. If you're really honest about it, what parts can be outsourced for going back to that CPA attorney example, you can find paralegals and people fresh out of college to crunch the numbers and do discovery and write the things. But at the end of the day, the one thing that keeps all those people employed is the relationship with the client, mm -hmm. which is sales. Mm -hmm. So in a self-serving way, I'd say everybody should listen to my podcast. But if you if you don't feel like that's you, that's okay too. And I can't promise that every single mother of three that listens will find any kind of value. But you know, everything is sales, at least in my opinion. So I, I do believe, honestly, because um, I've listened to uh, numerous episodes of yours, and those anybody who's in business. I would, I would almost just go there. Like you said, maybe a mother who's, who's a stay at home mom that is just going to be, you know, watching kids and doing whatever. And that's what they, you know, that profession of, of being a mom, um, that may not. <clears throat> There's really more on target podcasts for that. I know yeah. a couple email me. My wife has some that she loves. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So the, but anybody in business though, I mean, anybody who owns a business can definitely benefit from the journey that you're putting out there because like we own this just full circle because we're all in sales in some form or fashion you you have to know this process and and really tap into it in a way that you're talking about because i, I do feel like it is going to be more beneficial in that way um so i would encourage anybody out there in business sales professionals whatever to, to listen to it because it's, it's, it's actually very interesting conversations that are going on there because I, if I'm drawn into it, then I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. So I would I, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, With that, I, though, go go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I was I was just thinking about someone who reached out to me a couple of weeks ago who's an engineer and uh, they, you know, this even this business owners concept that you're talking about, they work on a team where there's five people and they're the 
they're the uphill swimmer. The four other people on the team want to engineer a certain way with which they're comfortable. They want to write code and do the process the way they're comfortable. And he's new to the team, but he has all these great ideas of all this new technology and different ways of approaching the coding. That's sales. He's mm -hmm. trying to change their behavior for the benefit of everyone. That's sales too. It may not be an exchange of money, but you're trying to change behavior. Yeah. So yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, no, it is. But um, I, again, yeah, I'd encourage anybody to go out there and listen to it. It's, it's very interesting stuff and it's, it's a really good podcast. So um, with that though, Rob, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on here. And this was a good conversation. Like it's not something that I've, I've ever had on this, this show before. Like it's just so out there that's different, but it's still in tune. Like it's still a mindset piece. And I, I it goes to my, my belief that, mindset's 95% of everything and 5, 5% the rest of it's just strategy, right? So if we can get the right mindset in sales and then strategy and apply some sort of strategy with it, then you're going to be better off. So I just want to say thank you for taking the time. I just appreciate you coming on here and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and, and all that, all that other good stuff. Well, shucks, man. I'm going to have a hard time getting my head out the door after this, but <laughs> thank you so much for letting me be on the show. And if anyone has any questions or, you know, I, I respond to Robert at reclaimingsales.com pretty regularly. So feel free to reach out and I'll help if I can. Perfect. And I'll put the, I'll, I'll link to your podcast on in the, and the podcast notes in the description here. So they have a quick way to access it. So, all right. With that, do you have maybe want a little golden nugget to leave with people or you think that we, you know, we I guess the only, out? yeah, so many golden nuggets, but <laughs> I think the last thing I want to mention is this idea of defining uh, the difference between honor and integrity. I believe honor is something, it's a reflection of your actions. You can be dishonorably discharged. You know, so I think honor is a reflection of your actions, but integrity is your measure of your character. And I just, those are not the same thing. They're subtly different, mm -hmm. but in the same way that like no one can make you do something that would break your integrity. Um, your, we want on our, in a day to day as much as possible for our actions to honor us and others. And so if you're going to start anywhere, if you're going to think, if you're going to, if you're listening to this for the first time and you just cannot wrap your head around, are you, is this, how do I start with that? Just go, you know, do my, does my understanding of the person I want to be, AKA my integrity line up with the way the world perceives me, which is my honor. So that's a great place to start. Do a little self audit and let's just see where you come up. Yep. Sounds good. And I can't think of a better way to, to end this show. So I am going to sign off, but everybody, we, we will be talking soon. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you found value in this episode, the best thing you can do is to subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. If you would like to further investigate how you can flip your mindset, feel free to contact me through my website at www.garrettgoggins.com. Can't wait to catch you on the next episode.